I found preliminary signals that it can reduce race-based anxiety and increase mindfulness and self-compassion. And people seemed to really like it and really were interested in it as a form of mental health treatment going forward. From the Harvard Kenneth C. Griffin Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, this is Colloquy. I'm Paul Massari. And that angelic voice you heard before mine belongs to Grant Jones, a PhD student in clinical psychology. Jones has developed a groundbreaking mental health intervention, Healing Attempt, which combines guided meditations with originally composed music deeply rooted in Black American traditions an innovative approach that aims to address the specific challenges of race-based anxiety within communities of color. Today we talk with Jones about Healing Attempt, his collaborations with the Grammy Award-winning artist Esperanza Spaulding, and with the Buddhist leader Lama Rod Owens, and the promising early results of studies on the intervention. Join us as we explore the potential of mindfulness, music, and culture in reshaping mental health care. Grant Jones, welcome to Colloquy. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here. So before we talk about your research, uh, I'd love to hear about your journey from growing up in Boston to becoming a Harvard PhD student and a researcher. Um, How's your personal background shaped your work and the development of your intervention healing attempt? I grew up in Mattapan, Massachusetts, which is a, in the inner city of Boston, a predominantly black neighborhood. And I was raised by my mother, my aunt, my grandmother there. Incredible support system and support network. But simultaneously, growing up there, there are definitely some structural challenges for sure. Going to school in Mattapan, the educational opportunities aren't the best. Definitely a lot of the peers that I was around fell into gang violence. And so my family kind of, kind of put all hands on deck to figure out what would it mean for me to navigate and have an opportunity to express myself and be myself and flourish within this world in an environment that wasn't really offering opportunities to do so. So from a pretty early age, my family placed me in private school. And I love school. School is like from, I'm kind of a helpless nerd. I, I can't really pull myself away from, from schoolwork. And it's really been that way since I since I was a young kid. Um, it just comes, yeah, doing schoolwork is just always very natural to me. But I think the thing, though, about being in private schools is that those spaces are also very predominantly white and culturally also pretty different from where I grew up. And so for me, I think, you know, my path was one in which I didn't really fit in Mattapan where I was growing up. And I think increasingly as I came into awareness about myself and my blackness, private school didn't really feel like a place in which I could really fully be seen or accepted either. And although, you know, I enjoyed school and high school, you know, was a, worked out and, you know, was able to, fortunate to be able to go to Harvard College for undergraduate, which is obviously amazing as an aspiring slash perennial student as I've come to be. I feel like I arrived at Harvard College with just like so much unsettledness within myself, just of not really fitting and not really knowing how I would fit within this world, within the structures of this world. And I think for me, like that kind of forced my first year of school, kind of really forced me into just figuring out how would I settle this deep unsettledness that I that I came to be aware of. And for me, meditation really became kind of my um, 
my path and my solution to, to tending to my heart and tending to my spirit at a time in which it was calling for so much and I didn't really know how to do so. And I mean, I'm skipping over level. One thing led to another and my meditation practice really bloomed and I realized that not only could this be a way for me to tend to myself and tend to my spirit and tend to my well-being, but also so many people who are from places like me who grew up in, from, in backgrounds like mine could really, really benefit from this amazing practice, from this deeply generous practice that can hold so much. And that for me has launched me kind of into a life path in which I've been investigating what would it mean to bring this practice to people like me, to backgrounds, from backgrounds like mine, who could benefit so much but might not have a way in to learning about it in a way that would feel safe and feel resonant based on their life experiences. So that kind of set me on the course for my PhD and brought me back to Harvard where I am now. And uh, that's the reason why we're talking today. What form of meditation do you do? Yeah, so um, my, I predominantly practice mindfulness meditation. And the first lineage that I kind of tapped into was the Zen lineage, simply f- due to the simplicity of the practice, that's kind of how, of how I conceptualize it for myself, was a simple breath-based practice of just being with the present moment, returning to my breath whenever my attention drifted away, which is, you know, mindfulness at its core. There's been a lot written and said about the mental health crisis in the U.S., you know, particularly the youth mental health crisis, not as much about what goes on for people in marginalized communities. Can you talk about the landscape a little bit? We just don't have treatments that um, are um, widely accessible and also more specifically treatments that speak specifically to people's cultural backgrounds and lineages. For so many, rooted in so many different cultures and cultural heritages, the way that folks conceptualize of healing, the ways that folks conceptualize of mental health is just radically different from the frameworks that we've come to rely upon within Western psychology. And what that means is that, you know, folks can be suffering a lot or going through challenges that we would conceptualize of as mental health issues. But those issues either aren't recognized as such, aren't met as such, or wouldn't be treated as such within those communities. That's number one. And then number two, I think that there's just so many structural challenges that luckily we, we're having many more conversations about, but socioeconomic challenges in terms of people being able to afford the treatments that exist. If, you know, for instance, somebody's from a lower income background and has to try to navigate to treatment, they might not have the means to take time off from work to be able to access mental health treatment. Then there's also the structural challenges of, you know, discrimination related mental health issues. So discrimination, as again, as we are conceptualizing of more, has very clear health and mental health impacts. And they're ones that can be really deep and really pervasive and really um, wide ranging. But yet we have, again, so few tools to tend to those issues. And also not we don't even really have solid frameworks in, within Western psychology to address them and recognize them. Being from where I'm from, I think a lot of people who are from backgrounds like mine just have to keep it moving, just have to keep it pressing. And so you don't really take the time to dig in and think about what the pain is that you're experiencing as something that rises to the level of needing something extra rather than working more. So let's talk about the intervention healing yeah. attempt. What is it? How does it work? How do people use it? Healing attempt is a digital music-based mindfulness intervention in the form of an album that combines originally composed music that I made with guided meditations and poetry, all of which are sets of background music tracks that are rooted in Black American music traditions like gospel, R&B, 
And all of them are geared towards anxiety reduction and particularly anxiety that comes from experiences of racism, discrimination for people who are from the black community. And for me, this is my initial attempt at uh, trying to create forms of healing and forms of uh, restoration that are culturally relevant. For me, music is one of the first and one of the most fundamental forms of healing and restoration that I know. I know for many folks who are Black or African American, it's very similar. Music has, you know, brought so many Black folks through just profound atrocities, the profound atrocities of oppression, of enslavement. Music has been this guiding light through all of that. It's been this bedrock through all of that. And yet again, but when you look out at mental health treatment, uh, as it exists currently within Western psychology specifically and within clinical psychology, which is um, the field in which I'm rooted, there are almost, you know, there are virtually very little, if not no, kind of formally empirically validated treatments that try to utilize music, and particularly black American music, for the purposes of healing the black community. And to answer your other question of how how do people use it, the other thing that I wanted a healing attempt to be was intuitive. And so it's, like I mentioned, it's in the form of an album. So the idea is that you put it on and you listen to the instructions that are in the intervention themselves, that are in the songs, that are in the guided meditation. So it should be so simple as for anyone of any age to be able to pick it up, use it, feel, and access kind of the, the simple instructions that are there for, um, for attending to any anxiety that might be present. So, for instance, in the guided meditations, there are instructions on what does it mean to work with your thoughts and allow them to be there in a non-judgmental way, as is one of the core invitations of mindfulness practice. And so, for instance, um, on one of the tracks, Lama Rod invites folks to just simply, you know, notice whatever thoughts are arising. And one of the instructions that he gives is that you don't have to like what's here. You don't have to like what your mind is doing right now. You just have to notice it. You just have to actually pay attention to what's happening. Music kind of runs throughout all of it. So whether it's a guided meditation or a song, there's background music kind of playing throughout. With um, the songs specifically, many of which I'm singing on, the lyrics themselves have instructions. So I have a song called Slow Down, which kind of unsurprisingly invites people to slow down within their lives and to um, have some lyrics that explicitly talk about, you know, setting healthy boundaries for yourself being able to say no, being able to take time out for yourself. It's these very explicit invitations into reminding yourself that you can do that. You've talked about your collaboration with the Buddhist leader, Lama Rod Owens. But I know that another mentor of yours is the composer, performer, musician, educator, Esperanza Spalding. Can you talk a little bit about how you've learned from her? And she's collaborating with you to some extent on the music for this Mm. intervention, isn't she? What does that look like? I first came into a relationship with Esperanza by taking her class. So I was a student in her songwriting workshop when she taught here. When she was a professor here, she offered a class that just taught people how to write songs and how to really cultivate their craft as songwriters and as individuals who are seeking to channel a message through music. And so I took that my second year of the PhD during spring of 2020. The second kind of element of like what it meant for me to come into relationship with Esperanza 
was the fact that, again, through another wilder fluke of the universe, we were both interested in very similar things at the exact same time. So I came to the PhD with an interest in reading and understanding more about how to use contemplative tools like meditation to support communities of color. For me, music is one of the deepest, earliest cultivations I know and one of the earliest contemplative practices that I know, arguably the earliest. Simultaneously, Esperanza was also going through her own um, launching of the Songwrites Apothecary Lab, which was her own personal investigation of music and healing. So given our mutual interest, I had the opportunity to work with her at Harvard as a research assistant, helping her to kind of cultivate and call different scientific sources to help her to compose music for what was her upcoming album at the time, um, Songwrites Apothecary Lab. And so I was one of the research assistants making a database of research ideas and notes um, that could that can be supportive. But the main thing is, while I was formerly in the Songwrites Apothecary Lab class, one day, kind of after class, you know, she, you know, asked me to talk after class. And I was like, okay, for sure. Like, I'm nervous, but, <laughs> but, but excited. Um, and by that point, we'd known each other for like a year and a half. It worked in class and out, out of class. And then at that point, she mentioned that she wanted to offer me a gig, which floored me, uh, obviously. And at that point, she was offering me a gig to work with her specifically in New York to work with her and her collaborators as a researcher, again, to help support more directly the crafting of songs for the upcoming album as, again, in my capacity as a researcher, but kind of on the ground this time. So, and this was the time in COVID when, in which everything had been virtual. We hadn't seen each other in like a year and a half. So um, this was in 2021. And so it was this chance to really dive as deep as possible into into the kind of this exploration of, of recorded music and and healing work. And yeah, one day I... I sent an email or two or three, <laughs> sent multiple and with, with follow-ups to, to see if we if she'd be interested in, in collaborating on this initiative. And she said yes, which, again, was very special. And so right now we are working on a song that specifically is a meditation. It's a song and a meditation that is focused on kind of exposing the role of shame in the internalization of systemic harm and discrimination-based harm and the ways in which shame kind of keeps that locked inside. So this, again, is another explicit invitation into looking at that shame and then um, hopefully laying it aside gently, if possible. You've done some feasibility studies on the intervention. Could you talk about those and what were some of the key findings or insights? So, yeah, I've done three feasibility studies for a healing attempt thus far. The core findings, um, so just like core finding up front, is that the intervention, in, in layman's terms, um, it I found preliminary signals that it can reduce race-based anxiety and increase mindfulness and self-compassion. And people seem to really like it and really were interested in it as a form of mental health treatment going forward. So that's the high-level layman's um, explanation. I'm happy to go into more detail about the specifics of kind of how I conducted the studies and what the specific findings were. So something we talked about um, a bit offline, but the study design that I used for it is something called a non-concurrent multiple baseline design. It's pretty much a fancy way of talking about a form of single-case experimental design, which is also a fancy way of talking about just testing the intervention and the efficacy of it within individual people in a small sample size. So... At this initial stage, I've conducted tests of healing attempt within 17 people, which, as it 
in terms of Western scientific studies is on the smaller end, for sure. So I caveat all of the discussion around any efficacy of healing attempt around small sample size that I, that I definitely have at this time and the need for more research. But what that study design is, is essentially within every person, you have a study visit that has two different phases. One phase, the A phase, is you're not playing any music and people are just free to go about business as usual within the study. And so you're essentially kind of, and and during that time, you're also assessing their anxiety and their mindfulness and self-compassion levels. So you're just essentially getting like a baseline estimate of how they're doing that day with no interference. And that can, you know, that happened anywhere between, you know, 10 and um, 25 minutes roughly of them kind of going about their day as they as they typically would. And then every two minutes within that time, I'm I'm assessing for the outcomes that I mentioned. So anxiety and mindfulness and self-compassion. So that's the A phase in which, again, nothing's happening. And then during the B phase, I administer healing attempts. And then during that time, I'm also simultaneously still assessing anxiety, mindfulness, and self-compassion. But now I'm also seeing what is the impact of the intervention on those clinical targets. And then after all that, I just ask some really basic questions of just like, did you like this? How much would you recommend this to people? And I just asked some questions from zero to 100. How likely would you be to recommend healing attempt to someone that you know in the black community suffering from race-based anxiety? And so the average thus far, the average score across the 17 participants of like likelihood to recommend um, has been 93 out of 100. So it's people really are vibing with this approach thus far. I've seen your other music on Spotify. Yeah. Are folks going to be able to access this through, you know, Apple or Apple Music or Spotify or whatever? Yeah, that's the that's the goal for sure. So kind of baked into this idea is is the um, desire to make this as widely available as possible and also to make it available in as intuitive um, a way as possible. So the next step specifically is I definitely want to investigate can music streaming platforms represent a viable way of administering mental health treatments and um, specifically want to study and assess once I've released Healing Attempts, um, the extent to which um, music streaming platforms represent a, a viable way of delivering not only this intervention, but similar interventions to it in the future for communities of color. So do you have any time frame when this might be available to folks? 2024. Well, let's, let's say that that's, a, that's a, a clear intention. All right. Yeah. From the Harvard Griffin Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, this has been Colloquy. This podcast is an extension of the magazine of the same name. You can find an extended transcript of the show, as well as past episodes, at the Harvard Griffin GSAS website, gsas.harvard.edu slash colloquy hyphen podcast. If you enjoyed this interview, please rate the show on Apple or Spotify so that others can find it as well. I'm Paul Masari. See you next time.